Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Accommodation Matters, where this month we'll be focusing on international students. I'm Darren Ellis, Higher Education Engagement Director at Unite Students. We're the UK's largest PBSA provider with around 75,000 students housed in our 177 properties based in 27 leading university towns and cities. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sir Steve Smith, the government's international education champion and former Vice-Chancellor at the University of Exeter, will be speaking in a personal capacity. Vivian Stern, Director of Universities UK International. Dr. Paul Greatrix, Registrar at the University of Nottingham. And Sheena Birch, Commercial Director at Unite Students. Thank you for taking time out from your busy schedules to be here with us today. The UK is one of the biggest international student markets in the world. Only the USA has more international students than the UK, and with the exception of 2012, the number of international students has grown every year since the millennium. So Vivian, I'm wondering if you could share some insight into how the 2021 academic year was shaping up for international recruitment based on the early indicators before the pandemic struck. Well, it's a really frustrating story, actually, because, I mean, if you remember, um, last September, um, the government announced the uh, introduction of a graduate route, which would enable um, international students who studied with us to stay for two years and work post-graduation. And this was something that we'd been sort of hammering away at for, uh, you know, five or six years ever since the the post-study work visa was, um, was abolished. And we knew, we just knew it was going to lead to a real sort of surge an interest in the UK as a study destination. And we'd started to see that in the kind of data around uh, uh, student search behavior and things like that. And so I think we were poised for an absolutely fantastic year. Uh, and then, of course, around about the beginning of January, we started to, uh, you know, hear the first uh, news of the pandemic emerging from China. Initially, it was a real concern about what, that would, ha- what would happen to Chinese enrollments. And of course, you know, the rest is history. Um, Could you say a little bit more about that graduate route? Um, When is it due uh, to actually uh, commence? When can uh, students start to use it? From From what period? So the government said that they will introduce the route. Uh, so you'll be able to apply for it from um, this summer. They haven't said, uh, you know, exactly what the uh, date would be, but we'd expect it to be sort of June or July. Um, but they have also said that any student starting a program um, this last September, so September um, 2020, will qualify and will be eligible. Uh, and are there any rules around that in terms of when they need to be in the UK, given that many international students have started, obviously, their courses online? Yeah, I mean, I still find it kind of odd that I, I am in a position where I'm saying the Home Office have been fantastic. You know, my kind of whole professional career has been batting my head against uh, what has sometimes felt like a bit of a brick wall in that department. But no, the Home Office has been great. They recognise that some students would be studying online um, for the beginning of their course and that we could, couldn't quite you know, predict how long that would be. Um, that's turned out to be the case. So um, they've introduced uh, flexibility uh, to ensure that as long as you're in the country by the 6th of April, um, you'll qualify for the graduate route. Lovely. Thank you very much. And Steve, do you, do you have anything else to add uh, based on what you were seeing as far as how 2020-21 uh, was shaping up in terms of international recruitment? No, I mean, I really do agree with everything Vivian said. I mean, the, the data over the last few years 
was incredibly strong about the UK's attractiveness. Um, all the indications were that the really quite significant changes actually that government made um, in visa policy had begun to bear fruit. Uh, the change was particularly important in the Indian market where we saw a massive increase in the number um, of applications last year. So until the pandemic kind of hit, um, it looked as if we were in for a really, really good year of recruitment. The crucial question, of course, now is, is it a one-year phenomenon? Or is it altering fundamentally the nature of what higher education means? Is it now going to be more distance learning, in-country learning? But my personal view is that I think we will see a blip for a while, but back in 21-22, demand will surge again. And the UK is already showing that because of its response to the pandemic, and especially because of its visa policy, it's now a very, very preferred um, option for people thinking of studying abroad. Thank you, Stephen. We'll certainly come back to 21-22 shortly, uh, but just we're staying with 2021 for the moment. Uh, of course, along did come uh, the pandemic and knocked uh, all of those plans and and uh, uh, student applications off course. So, Paul, I, what did you see in term one in terms of actual international student arrivals? And what do you then expect to see in January and quarter one uh, going forward? I mean, it is a, a a really significant change we experienced back in March, and uh, I mean, in terms of our forecasting for for the autumn recruitment, we uh, we Nottingham we were very very pessimistic about the impact that this would have uh, on international student arrivals. So you know, we were forecasting kind of eighty percent no show rate. Um, and then by June, I was thinking that fifty percent would be a brilliant result. So we we ended up in in october around you know getting actually pretty close to our undergraduate international uh intake target and uh, just over half on the postgraduate taught front so actually compared with how i felt in march that that was you know felt like a a, a pretty blooming good outcome we're expecting you know um around uh, 500 or so more uh postgraduate students in january um and i i think you know, the situation is very, very different now. And whilst I would expect some of them to decide to pursue online learning for a bit, some of them uh, have undoubtedly decided to to defer. Actually, I think, you know, with the vaccine, people are suddenly much more optimistic um, about, you know, coping with short-term challenge for long-term gain. So, so I, I, I'm optimistic now about, uh, about the January arrivals that, uh, you know, we will get pretty close to, to what we're hoping for. And are there any sort of logistical challenges that might knock that off course that you're hearing about at the moment? I mean, an awful lot can happen, of course, between now and then. And, um, you know, what may happen in the UK post Christmas as uh, greater restrictions may suddenly be imposed, again, may have an impact uh, on arrivals, may have an impact on particularly the Chinese market where they are very sensitive to, you know, to headlines from the UK about how we've been dealing with the pandemic. So there's a lot of things may, may, may blow that off course. Uh, we're just hoping that our, you know, kind of quiet authority of a university will, uh, will, will keep them reassured and frequent communications and assurances about what it's like in reality when they get here will do the trick. 
And Steve, what do you think are, um, uh, and Vivian really, what, what do you think are the view is of, of the UK at the moment from China, just picking up on Paul's point there? Well, um, I'll answer quickly. I mean, it, the, the current data is that although Chinese uh, students are much more concerned about the safety issue, that's, I mean, a lot of the surveys have shown that that's the number one concern. The latest survey report we got from the the uh, the Crossroads survey last week is that, that really the UK is now seen as very much more welcoming um, across the board. So th- at the moment, it looks as if... Uh, things demand is bound uh, rebounding really rather well and in china and in india and in other main markets the uk is seen very favorably but vivian may well have more immediate data on that i think um steve's dead right there's you know it's a kind of um it's it's uh it's it's a kind of complicated picture i think in terms of handling of the pandemic frankly the uk is perceived as having uh, managed it rather badly uh, you know we uh, lag down towards the bottom with the us in terms of international students ranking uh, destinations by their for their handling of the pandemic um, but when you look at uh, responses not only from prospective students but also from students who've been through the system and come here or from agents um, about uh, the uh, their perception of the UK as a study destination it's very positive I mean we're uh, perceived to have taken uh, good action both at the university and the government level um, you know maintaining open borders is critical here because remember the US sorry Australia and Canada have closed their borders you cannot fly in as an international student um, and I think that um, you know, that probably will uh, bear fruit for us in the future because we're a system that has very clearly said, you know, from ministers down, we really want you to come. We're going to look after you while you're here. And we've been able to use uh, students who are with us at the moment to get the message out to prospective students to tell them about what the experience is actually like, what it's like, you know, studying in this new blended mode, how universities are supporting international students. And I think that's been very powerful. So the Crossroads survey that Steve mentioned um, which are students who'd kind of, you know, they'd taken the plunge, they'd come here this autumn. Um, 81% of respondents to that uh, Crossroads study uh, were satisfied with their decision to have come to the UK and that we did rather better than uh, competitor destinations on that measure. Thank you very much. And I mean, so it is a fascinating point to think that, you know, Australia and America have had, have had their borders sort of hard closed since March and, and the UK has remained open subject to quarantine rules throughout that entire period. Um, thank you. And Sheena, um, I, I was just wondering what decisions are we now seeing from international students for 2021, uh, particularly again in respect of January and indeed quarter one arrivals? Yeah, uh, hi. We, we've definitely seen a rise in confidence um, for international students that are due to arrive in January, and that's really been over the last couple of weeks. Um, and we believe that we will see these arrivals continue into February and March. Um, we have a team based in China where the majority of students are are due to arrive from, and we're constantly receiving updates around student sentiment. And this is really giving us the insight um, to what the barriers and concerns are around arriving to the UK um, really since the pandemic started. Um, the main challenges and feedback we've had since sort of March, April time and even going into summer months was around visas with many of the places closed until the end of August. Um, also flights 
and, and also waiting on confirmation on start dates from universities um, and whether their courses would be offered online. I think the positive takeaway um, from that is that there is a real strong appetite to come to the UK. It was mainly around the logistics that, that they were concerned about um, and were confident as these barriers are being alleviated that we're set for quite a busy check-in in January and, and further into Q1. And I think also just to mention encouragingly for sales cycle 21 and 22, our early bookings from our international markets are ahead of where we expected at this stage. Um, so we're, we're quietly confident that, you know, January should be busy. And as I stated, sort of the last couple of weeks, I think particularly around the communication of the, the vaccine has, has definitely improved confident levels in terms of arriving in January. Thank you, Sheena. In addition to COVID, uh, universities will have to contend, of course, with Brexit as the transition period comes to an end on December the 31st. Uh, Stephen Vivian, uh, what additional efforts have we seen from universities to continue to recruit students from the EU and, of course, from countries outside the EU in order to help compensate for any reduction in EU students we might see? Yes, I mean, I think universities are very aware that they needed to, you know, had four and a bit years to get used to the reality of Brexit. I mean, and clearly, by the way, for for some parts of the UK, Scotland in particular, links with uh, EU institutions in terms of student recruitment is incredibly significant. So they've uh, put, spent a lot of time and effort trying to make sure that uh, those links continue. So I think what you've seen is um, a diversification by universities around the UK to forge links with um, uh, European institutions, European students, but also, of course, increasingly to look at a number of other very fast growing markets around the world so that you diversify both from Europe on the one hand, but also China on the other hand, because clearly the UK was so dependent, 120,000 students from China out of the 485,000. Um, and also many universities looking at, uh, at TNE as well. So I think there's been a real effort to try and predict what what might come next year because of Brexit in terms of making sure that students are welcome and know they're welcome to come back to the UK. And UUK itself has done an enormous amount of work to promote the UK as a destination to students in Europe. Thank you, Stephen. Vivian, have we have we seen any data uh, so far about uh, the 21-22 sort of intake for EU students? So we do, do you have a, a view about what sort of uh, percentage decline we, we may see? Well, so we've begin, we're getting, beginning to see it, I suppose. The UCAS um, early data for the sort of early deadlines um, did show a drop in EU um, applications. I think we just have to wait as this cycle uh, develops to see how significant that drop is because, of course, the first deadlines are slightly unusual there. Um, you know, medicine, dentistry, uh, Oxford and Cambridge, and, and that probably won't be totally representative of the whole uh, student population. There's I would I would put money on there being a significant decrease in um, EU enrolments. I think it's uh, inevitable given the change in fee and loan status and uh, also the fact that EU students will have to uh, apply for visas. Um, there's been a huge effort, I think, to communicate what the new uh, arrangements will be, but I think we need to double down and work really, really hard. That's going to be our top priority um, for the first six months of uh, next year. I'm, I'm sort of slightly nostalgic because Steve and I took part in a kind of... Um, 
sort of three-year-long grand European farewell tour, basically, over the course of the last um, few years, just trying to communicate, 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 explain to people what's going on, make sure they understand that there's quite a large variation in kind of international fee levels, so they shouldn't assume that it really isn't affordable anymore, make sure that they understand that the visa process isn't uh, terrifying or a kind of major barrier, um, and also just make sure that they understand uh, features like the graduate route. And, you know, over time, I think that decrease in EU uh, students, I think we'll see a recovery. I think there's a bit of evidence of that in previous fee level changes where EU student numbers dropped and then recovered gradually. But we'll just have to see. Lovely. Thank you. And when does that uh, new visa route uh, open for EU? Well, uh, well, indeed, and international students more generally. So the route's already open, but if you are an EU um, national and you come to the UK before the 31st of December, you don't have to um, apply for a visa. You can apply for pre-settled status and then eventually settled status. But if you arrive the day after the 31st, if you come at the beginning of January, you will have to have a visa through the new student route. Um, and information available uh, about that on the government website. And I think it's relatively straightforward and it's actually it represents a bit of an improvement on the previous tier four regime i think thank you um given the potential for covid and brexit to cause disruption next year what can universities and accommodation providers do to ensure that the incoming cohort of international students have a fantastic experience when they do arrive can i hear from paul on this one first please yeah, I mean, I, I think that what the, the last nine months has shown us is actually the importance of the kind of personal touch when it comes to looking after uh, international students and, uh, and other students as well. And that goes from, you know, from application all the way through to, to arrival and then uh, whilst they're, they're in uh, university uh, accommodation uh, as well. And... Um, the important element of that, of course, is, is as well, is every part of that residential and wider support system linking better together to provide the support and assistance that is required. And I think that universities haven't always been brilliant at this. And there's been, you know, historical assumptions about the self-sufficiency of international students, you know, uh, which hasn't always resulted in the best possible uh, service and support uh, upon arrival. So I do think the kind of joining up across pastoral care, healthcare, welfare, hall support, security, catering, cleaning, you know, the whole team pulling together means that the kind of individual level of support for individual international students is much greater. And I, I think the way that universities have responded in the past nine months to uh, supporting international students gives a really good template for future support and hopefully it's something that we'll be able to sustain and that will help with you know retention of international students as well as their levels of general satisfaction and indeed academic achievement thank you paul i'm really struck by your point about that level of support needed uh, for example um in terms of postgraduates, uh, international postgraduates, which make up 37% of sort of total international students, you know, we'd assumed that uh, they, they, they would just arrive and settle in and uh, get on with their studies without too much support. But our own research actually demonstrated that they are so keen to maximise that year that they have in the UK uh, on, on studying their masters that they really want to uh, be given as much support yeah. as possible to settle in and make the very uh, the, the most of that year. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess that's what you're playing back. I, 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 
Absolutely, absolutely, uh, Darren. And uh, I, I think that at a time when COVID is, you know, driving people into isolation and, you know, face-to-face contact is absolutely at a premium. That issue is, uh, is, is absolutely front and center. So finding ways to enable those postgraduate students to engage with each other, with other students in different parts of the university, but also with academic and other staff at the university is vitally important because it's what makes that campus experience special. And it's so hard. It makes it all the more valuable when it does happen. But that's a bit we've really got to focus on in the future, it seems to me. Thank you, Paul. And, and Sheena, coming to you, what, what, what are you, what is Unite doing to ensure that the incoming cohort of international students have a fantastic experience when they do arrive? Okay. So Unite have worked very hard over the last few months, um, and this is to ensure that we give our students the best survival that we can um, under the circumstances. Uh, we worked on a five-point plan that focused on five areas, um, which included transition to university and settling in, um, positive welcome experience, um, compliant social distancing, because we know that safety was a, a big sort of um, sentiment that was coming out that was really important, um, and also focused on enhanced cleaning and hygiene. Um, but the most important portion is around our commitment to student welfare. This also included many changes. Um, we offered digital check-in for the first time. We also enabled students to meet their flatmates virtually um, pre-arrival. And this, we felt, would really relieve some of that sort of anxiety that our students have um, coming in and not knowing who they're going to be sharing their accommodation with. Um, We also hosted several online events um, and offered flexibility on start dates for international students um, if they needed to isolate for 14 days. And and this was a big sort of question that, that came from our international students in terms of, you know, would we be flexible on that? And absolutely we were. So they didn't have the stress of having to move accommodation um, when they arrived in the UK. Um, we also built on the success of our student ambassador program um, and they've welcomed students as they've checked in and they've been on hand to answer any questions. Um, And for the first time, we launched a a home charter and this clearly outlined to students what they should be expecting from each other um, in the accommodation. Um, So we feel we've taken a lot of positive steps um, to ensure we could offer the best welcome that we could um, under the circumstances. Um, But student welfare remains at the heart, um, particularly at what Unite do. Um, And we feel that it ensures under the circumstances we are giving the students the best experience that we possibly can. Thank you, Sheena. Um, so looking slightly further now to the further forward now to the 2021 academic year and beyond, I'd like to get your thoughts, uh, Steve, on where Britain's standing in the world of higher education will be post pandemic. You know, in, in the light of all the challenges related to that, is the government's target of 600,000 international students by 2030 still achievable? Oh, absolutely. And I think, uh, what I've noticed this year is the incredible demand uh, in countries throughout the world for education and for high quality education. So it looks to me as if the way in which we've dealt with changing the phenomenal change that Vivian referred to earlier about the visa uh, in kind of image we have, you know, we're now seen as welcoming, uh, uh, which is not something one would have said 10 years ago. Um, and I think 
that trend of a very large rise in the number of international students traveling around the world is going to come back up. And the UK seems to be seen as somewhere where you are felt welcome. And that's where accommodation providers, it seems to me, have an incredibly important role to play. Because a lot of the data, the detailed data I've seen, shows that um, what students want to know is that they'll be safe and sound. Their families certainly want to know they'll be looked after, they'll be welcomed. If they have to isolate, they'll be supported. So the way in which um, universities, accommodation providers have responded to this crisis, I think, has done uh, a lot of good for our image. And my view is if we take the next uh, 10 years, that we'll see the UK getting very, very uh, significant increases in international student numbers, albeit from maybe slightly different markets. So I think that the China bubble may not grow in the way that, that we've seen growing in, in the past. India looks like a massive potential for growth. Um, but many other countries in the world are exhibiting exactly that same upward interest in international education. And the UK um, is incredibly well positioned because government has listened to the concerns that Vivian and I, but mainly Vivian, has made in, in pointing <laughs> out the, the damage that was being done by the unwelcome image that we were creating abroad. That's changed. And we've seen the results of that with, you know, from India, a massive spike in the number of people wanting to come. Vivian, um, what what are your thoughts on what Steve has said there? Well, the, I mean, the first, I'm generally a glass half full person, and I think that there's, as Steve says, there's, I, I the that target is achievable. We've got to be organised and systematic. Uh, I think going back to something that uh, Paul was talking about, we ought to, we have to be absolutely clear. The UK competes on quality. Um, and, and we need to make sure that we uh, deliver an absolutely fantastic experience for international students who, um, you know, commit huge uh, financial, uh, make a huge financial commitment when they come to the UK. We have to make sure that uh, we're really delivering um, something that is sort of best in class. Um, but, but when Steve talks about India, um, th there's another thing that uh, preoccupies me, which is keeping stability in visa policy. And that means making sure that the introduction of the graduate route doesn't open us up to um, uh, criticism that universities are recruiting students who aren't capable of um, succeeding in UK higher education or who aren't really motivated by study. And I think that there is um, there is already some concern about uh, particularly sub-agent behaviour in India um, following the introduction of the graduate route. We need to look at the experience of other systems, places like Canada, who've had uh, generous post-study work um, visa offers, and make sure that we work closely with government to understand concerns as they emerge and to address them at the institutional level. Because frankly, having spent a decade trying to get back to a position where we've got a kind of supportive visa policy, we cannot risk that. And I think that's where we need to work together with government uh, to make sure there's a really good feedback loop. Thank you. And, and I, I just wanted just to come back on, uh, and I suppose to, to both you and, and Steve, really, on what do you think are the key markets going forward? We've talked about China and India, but are there any other emerging markets we should focus on? And also, I think uh, we are doing a refresh of the 2019 International Education Strategy. And I just wondered when that might, we might see that published, when we might see that land. Um, could I uh, go to you first, Steve, on that one? So we hope to have the refresh published um, before Christmas. Um, there are other events going on as we speak that may delay uh, that publication, um, but that's the aim. As for um, the countries, in the medium term, um, there's a lot of interest in Latin America and Africa. Um, in the short term, 
uh, it's, it's Southeast Asia, the ASEAN countries, Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, in particular, and also parts of the Middle East and, and Africa, Saudi and, and, and Nigeria are showing significant interest. So I think what we're, we're doing is we're, we're looking at kind of phases of recruitment. Um, immediately in India does look the number one, um, followed by some of the other, uh, uh, Southeast Asian countries. And then it looks to me as if we're going to start getting interested in, in, uh, the Mediterranean area, in, in the EU, of course, still, but also in Latin America. And it seems to me that if you look at all the trends, birth rates, people under 30 and all these things, the demand for education seems to be a universal kind of uh, want as people, as economies become more uh, wealthy, as people become more middle class. And therefore, uh, the strategy will point to those um, developments. But crucially, I think over the next few years, we'll see a number of other countries with significant growth potential for coming to the UK. And we've got to make sure that our universities, as Paul said very eloquently, uh, have done an enormous job. Professional staff, academic staff have done fantastically in, in trying to make, you know, do everything they can to make people welcome. That's been noticed and seen. And I think that bodes very well for the future um, of recruitment to the UK and uh, accommodation providers of course um, need to be doing the same kind of thing because it's that image of safety that they'll be secure they'll be looked after but above all that the UK is an incredibly high quality higher education system and that will be attractive for the future. That certainly sounds very encouraging Vivian is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah I've got to give a plug to my favourite publication of the last you know three months, um, which has got a delightfully petulant title, Why Aren't We Second? We did a bit of um, analysis of the top 21 sending uh, countries for international students. Um, the headline is that the UK lost market share in 17 out of the world's top 21 sending uh, countries. The only three places that we gained market share during that period were uh, Malaysia, Indonesia and Hong Kong. Um, we, in that analysis, started to sketch out a strategy, uh, you know, to contribute towards the government's international education strategy, as Steve said. Um, and we identified markets where the UK needs to focus on maintaining its market position, where we're doing really, really well, and we just need to watch our, um, you know, watch our performance. Uh, places like Hong Kong, Malaysia, the US, uh, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, uh, and China. Um, there's a second category where we really lost out over the last uh, few years because our visa policy wasn't right and we need to work hard to regain that position. Um, and places like Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, but also Russia and Germany are in that group. And I would expect a bunch of um, EU uh, countries to enter that group over the course of the next year. So we're going to have to work out a strategy to regain market position, which will be largely around communications, I think. And then the final category is a category of countries where the UK um, should uh, look to develop its market position. So, um, and this is the stimulus for the research. You know, I kind of found myself looking at places like, you know, for example, Ukraine. Why are we the 12th most popular destination for Ukrainian <laughs> students who study abroad? Where are the 11 other countries they think they're going to get a better higher education and why? And you start to unpick that and you get some really interesting things. So, Indonesia, we're fourth behind the US, uh, Australia, the US and Malaysia. South Korea, we're behind the US, Japan, Australia and Canada. So, it's not like price that's about think uk um and and so you can begin to come up with a strategy for addressing markets on an individual market by market basis we're now going to pull that thread a bit further we're going to publish um 
a second uh, slice of research under this heading in the summer. And uh, I think it's going to be really helpful um, in the joint effort to achieve the ambition set out in the international education strategy. That's absolutely fascinating. I certainly look forward, uh, as I'm sure many others will, to seeing that research. And, and Paul, in the event that the UK is successful in recruiting more international students, what are universities doing, sure, uh, doing to ensure they can support that additional student intake? That's a really good question. I, and I do think that, I mean, I share um, Vivian's optimism um, about the future and about our ability to um, uh, regrow and grow further our international uh, recruitment. But I think we're, we've are we got to be uh, very far from complacent about this. We're going to have to work incredibly hard, uh, individual universities and as a sector, uh, to achieve the growth ambitions we've got and to, you know, to climb up that Ukrainian uh, recruitment ranking uh, as well. But it does come back to the, the issues that we talked around, around, you know, the welcoming environment, the safety, the security, the, the quality of the offer. I do think that the, the accommodation element is a critical part of that package. And, you know, what we've seen uh, is a real change over the past certainly a decade or so, a couple of decades in, in the range of accommodation that's on offer. But I think the choice for international students is really important because, you know, there are all sorts of assumptions made about the, you know, the, the wealth of international students and their desire for, you know, luxury penthouse apartments with concierge service and private dining. But actually, the majority of international students are looking for, you know, good quality, secure accommodation in the right location with the you know, particular facilities they need, not necessarily high-end and, uh, luxury. So I think that that's really important to remember and all universities working with uh, higher education accommodation providers need to be on top of that. But going back to the point I made earlier, I do think this issue of all-round student care and ensuring that we deliver on our promise to our international students, we deliver the quality that we uh, are offering and that they expect from us is really important. Recognizing the diverse needs that they do have, they're not a homogenous group by any stretch of the imagination. So delivering personalization in what remains a, a kind of pretty impersonal higher education environment, which is a, a mass system, I think is hugely important. Delivering the quality to each individual student is really important. And what we've got to do is you Universities. Thank you, Paul. So, recognizing the importance uh, of the role that accommodation can play and, and will play, Sheena, I just wanted to come to you and ask what can accommodation providers be doing to cater for and to integrate students from these emerging markets and, and, and China and India, obviously, both now and going forward? Yeah, I think there is a big piece around culture awareness um, and Unite have particularly understood this for the Chinese market. Um, we ensure we have a clear understanding right from when their journey begins with us um, and that can start with a phone call or a sort of email with Unite. Um, and we have a sales team that are fluent in Mandarin. We have a strong understanding of how and what channels they like to use for communication. And we know that this varies um, per nationality. And this ethos is very much driven down into the operation with training provided on culture awareness. Um, and I think as we focus and look to drive further emerging markets, we'll very much be following this strategy and ensuring that we have a very clear understanding of each nationality's individual needs um, and communication preference. And I think that sort of leads into the safety, feeling like a home from home. Um, so I think these are the sort of key elements that we will be focusing on um, moving forward and, and where we've proven successful within the Chinese market. 
Thank you, Sheena. And and finally, then, um, when the worst of COVID is over, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, international students will undoubtedly want to get out and explore the UK. So uh, I'd like one recommendation, please, from each of you of a hidden treasure that you'd recommend to international students to visit uh, for a flavour of the UK. Uh, could I start with you, Steve? Well, um, Carrow Road, Norwich. The home of football. Uh, <laughs> uh, I first went with my dad when I was eight, and I I, I still watch them uh, all the time, and hope they climb back to the Premiership. Um, Norwich is a lovely city. Um, uh, there's a lot of lovely cities. Uh, my wife's from Edinburgh. Um, she would say Edinburgh is the best place in the country. Um, but there are some great places outside the main conurbations. And uh, frankly, there's so much to see uh, in the UK. It's a great place to visit. Thank you, Stephen. Of course, it's not true that Norwich have never won anything. I think they did win a. I think they did win a corner in 1998. So there we go. Uh, Vivian, um, can I uh, just ask you where would be uh, where would you recommend as your hidden treasure? It's hardly a hidden treasure, but I have to say the first place I'm going to go when we start travelling again in the UK is back to the Lake District. I just think uh, you know the area around the wooded side on the. Um, on the west of uh, Lake Windermere, I just love, and I think that if you're going to go somewhere in the UK, you should at least make one or two trips to the Lake District. Lovely. Thank you. Um, Paul, uh, I think I heard you say that Carrow Road was on your list as well. Well, indeed. I mean, after you've been to Carrow Road and soaked in the atmosphere there, I mean, and I would advise heading up to, to, to Edinburgh and then heading out to the east coast of Scotland, uh, East Lothian, around a uh, place where I grew up, North Berwick, which uh, is a kind of gorgeous uh, seaside town with you know, fantastic beaches, uh, a, a lovely, lovely welcoming environment and uh, the world's biggest Gannett colony to boot on the Bass Rock. So it's a, a fantastic place to visit on the day trip out from from, from Edinburgh. Lovely. And I couldn't agree more. What a fantastic place. Sheena, what would be your recommendation? I would absolutely highly recommend um, Barnstable in Devon. Um, and it's got the most beautifulest coastline um and it's got some amazing walks um and it's the perfect place for some sort of peace and downtime so i absolutely would highly recommend that for anybody who's discovering the uk lovely thank you sheen and just uh, just i thought i would add that my own would be literally anywhere in wales uh, right uh, that's all for today but thank you so much to steve vivian paul and sheena uh, it's been a real privilege to get your insights on this topic thank you also to our listeners I'd like to take the opportunity to wish you all a wonderful winter break to recharge your batteries at the end of what has been a very challenging year. Our previous episodes can all be found at our Podbean page and we'll be back in the new year with a new panel and a new topic. See you then and take care.